All right, welcome back uh, to Steeler Thoughts and Chief Steelers Thoughts and Chiefs Chiefs. I don't know the plurals here are very confusing to me. This is not a great way to start the episode with <laughs> the confusion about the name of our podcast. But welcome back to whatever podcast this is. I am one of the co-hosts here, uh, Chris Dorst. I'm the philosopher and the Steelers fan in the group. And I'm a Jay Nyer. I am the psychiatrist and the Chiefs fan in the group. Uh, it is great to be back. It was actually very strange not to record a podcast last week. Like, I was like, what do I do with my time? I'm not cutting up YouTube shorts, so I'm very excited to be back. Um, please, those of you that have been following, I, I know we got a lot of views on shorts, uh, not in the last week because we didn't put anything out, but before that, uh, so those of you that are watching on YouTube, following along with the shorts, uh, you can listen to us wherever you find podcasts. Just look for Steeler Thoughts and Cheap Feelings. Uh, we are on Instagram at STCF715 and TikTok at STCF8. And we're on Twitter at Thoughts14820, I think. Yes, that's, <laughs> um, <I> think that's <laughs> correct. <laughs> so thank, thank you to everyone that's been following along and we've been having fun. And hope yeah, we really appreciate a yeah. all the engagement and everything. So, um, all right. So, well, I know post Super Bowl, we did so much chief talking. I feel like we got to start with the Steelers this time. Okay, that's fine. We, I'm happy to. Uh, well, I don't know how happy, but I am <laughs> glad to talk Steelers. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, so, so the first thing that I wanted to get into, um, first of all, I've been seeing that there are rumors that Mike Tomlin is a big fan of Justin Fields. So before we even get deeper into the question, I want your thoughts on, do you, are those rumors credible to you? And do you think that would actually lead to the Steelers seriously pursuing Justin Fields? Um, so I, I don't, I'm sort of skeptical that we will make a big outside signing now. I mean, last time I thought maybe we were going to sign Tannehill because that was the rumor at the time. I'm sort of skeptical, uh, but there, you know, there's plenty of uh, stuff in the air about Fields and Tannehill um, and Cousins too. Um, this is part of the part of life right now as a Steelers fan is is these kinds of people getting excited about things that are not that exciting, right? So so I've seen many tweets about, you know, like fantasizing about our offense if we had Justin Fields at quarterback and Pickens and uh, and Johnson at wide receiver and Harris and Warren at running back and think the tweet saying something like, who would stop this offense? And I'm thinking, well, if we don't stop ourselves, I'm not sure that it's actually that concerning to other teams. And this is the kind of like a... I don't like to be in the position where we're fantasizing about something that would be a kind of nightmare for the teams at the top, and yet that's where we are. So <laughs> that's one thing to sort of uh, say right off the bat here. I don't, more specifically about your question, I don't think that Mike Tomlin will be the reason we sign Justin Fields if we do. Um, I think it sounds like, again, this is, this is, of course, my own opinion here, and I'm trying to read into a lot of the things that have been said. But I think Tomlin wants to give Pickett another go. I think Tomlin thinks that Pickett will have a, still has a chance to be good. Um, uh, Art Rooney, last week or the week before, said something to the effect that uh, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't rule out the possibility that we sign a major free agent quarterback, but he would put it in 
the unlikely category. I don't remember exactly that's the word to use, but something like that. So I am skeptical that we would do something like go with Fields or Tannehill or um, or Cousins or someone. Um, I do think Pickett might be the plan, and then if if it goes south, we'll have to. Well, I don't know. What I would do is try to draft someone. I think um, either this year or next year, depending on exactly what they're thinking there. But um, but I think you know it's just hard for me to get excited about someone that has had a while and we know who they are at this point. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I think I think Tomlin thinks he knows who Pickett is, and I think Tomlin thinks Pickett is better than he has shown so far. So. Um, we'll see what we'll see what comes of that, but I, I would be skeptical about a signing field. I don't think it's going to happen. Hmm. And do you think, like, kind of talking about knowing what Tomlin thinks Pickett is? Do you think we know what Fields is fully? Like, what are your thoughts on Justin Fields? I mean, that's a good that's a good question. I mean, he, it seemed like we knew he was very bad, and then he had some good games this year, or some good halves and bad halves. Uh, so maybe that's right. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm being unfair uh, to to someone like Fields. Um, we do know who Tannehill is. I will say that, and we know who Cousins <laughs> is. Um, and you know, they're they're proven commodities, but they're not especially exciting commodities. Maybe Fields is one that there's a a bit more a bit more excitement there because uh, there's a little bit more uncertainty about what he could be. Um, so of the three, I could probably most easily get myself excited about signing fields. I just, I still don't see it happening. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that makes sense about fields. The thing that's hard for me is like, obviously there's so many flashes, like you see these exciting things, but he's also been really bad at times. And, you know, we have one example at least in my lifetime that i can think of of something like that working out and that's josh allen and i don't know that like josh allen admittedly i was never like i was just like there's no way everyone thinks josh allen is going to be great or not everyone no one did but when he started on the upswing like in 2020 i was just like no no (laughs) like let's not fall for this and then he turned out to be great like but I don't, I don't know that I'd bank on that for Fields, even though he has, like, tangible skill. that For some reason, it's just not coming together. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, that's the kind of position we're in with Pickett, too. Like, we've seen a good sample size. I don't know how many starts, 25 or so by now. And he's never blown us away, right? I mean, he's there have been games where it's like, oh, he's in control now. Uh, particularly in games when, Canada, like, the one game after Canada left, he looked like he knew what he was doing. Um, finally, and look like look confident making throws in the middle of the field, which is something that he didn't seem to to want to do before that. Um, um, so there's, you know, I mean, but it's hard to it's hard to know where to go from one game of of, of good tape from Pickett. Really, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, that's where we are. So, talk about, I have a whole off season to get excited about Pickett again, uh, which is somehow I managed to do it last year. So <laughs> do it again. <laughs> So let's say it turns out like the Bears are very interested in trading fields. They're going to draft Caleb Williams, number one overall. They call up the Steelers and they're like, what are you going to give us for him? What, what's the most draft capital you would give up to give him a shot? That's a good question. 
Um, so we're we're tra trading solely draft picks at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, if there's a player you want to give up, sure. But I mean, not really. <laughs> um, I mean, I would have said Mason Cole, but he's already gone. Um, maybe. I mean, realistically, it would probably have to be like a second rounder, right? Isn't that like the, the sort of perceived wisdom right now? Um, do I want to give up a second rounder for? Not really. I think I'm. I'd be more excited to see what what uh, Tomlin and Omar Khan do in the draft with a second round pick than I would be to see what Fields could do with that second round pick given away. Um, so, I mean. Uh, I would give up a third rounder, I guess. <laughs> I don't. I don't think the the Bears would want that. Um, but uh, so basically, we're kind of in this. Yeah. So we're basically in the kind of scenario where it's like the Bears feel like they have to get rid of him, and nobody else wants him. In that situation, you'd be okay with trading for Fields. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Right, if we can get him really cheap, uh, and let's see what. Yeah, I mean it. It's it's about as exciting as Pickett at this point, so uh, uh, neither one is that great, or at least that exciting. Um, but you know, at least you have two eggs in the basket, or whatever the saying would be at that point. All right. Um, next question. Uh, I thought about this with Dwight Freeney being selected for the Hall of Fame, just with how iconic his spin move is and how much of that is associated with him. He even he claims to have maybe not qu quite invented it, but been like a real like primary user of the spin move. Cause apparently defensive ends are taught never to turn their back to the offensive lineman. Um, so I was thinking with that, him being associated so strongly with a move, what are your top three, signature stealer features just things it can be an aesthetic it can be like a phrase a move something associated with stealers that are like that is this person um yeah, that's uh that's a good question um is it for active stealers or just sort of stealers that i've watched no, throughout throughout time yeah anyway. okay I mean, you got to go with Palomalu's jump over the over the line uh, oh, when it's a quarterback sneak or something like that, or not even a quarterback sneak. He's done it on I think running plays too, but just sack the quarterback um, by jumping over the line at the snap. Um, I think that's got to be in there. I think maybe Ben's pump fake, um, which but oh, yeah. he could really he could fake you out. I mean, he could fake out the camera person he could fake out um you know people in the secondary but that was quite a pump fake uh and even if you watch like a, he does a, he does a, a couple of pump fakes on that game winning drive against Arizona in the Super Bowl 43 where you thought like how did he hold on to that ball essentially because <laughs> it looked like it was a full arm motion going and then he somehow just like re resets um so I don't think I've ever, ever seen anyone do as energetic a pump fake as him and then, where to go? I mean, there's some sack celebrations that are fun, right? So TJ Watt's sack celebration is fun where he like does a big kick and I don't know if this is an allusion to something that I'm not getting, but I associate it with TJ Watt. Uh, Joey Porter used to do a little like 
jump and then like wipe the stuff off his shoes kind of uh, after a sack. That was a fun celebration. But I also think those memories of James Harrison being at like a, just like leveraging himself under the offensive lineman and being at like a 20 degree angle with the ground and somehow still like working around just that, that sort of image in my mind is, is pretty awesome. I think I might have to put that up there as well. So I gave you more than three, but, <laughs> but I think those ones are the ones that come to mind. Those are good. That, the first two especially, I had not thought about in so long, and you're right, how much we associate. Like, Palomalu's jump, and Ben's pump fakes, yeah, he must have the biggest hands. Did he have really large hands? Like, I think he of, did, yeah. yeah they weren't picket-sized. <laughs> I mean, his ability to go so far into the pump fake, it's unbelievable, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. those are good. He didn't have to oh. do like the Manning two hand pump fake. You know, remember those? <laughs> I was like, yeah. uh, like, who are you actually faking? Out? <laughs> yeah, he did like a full shoulder, like, <laughs> yeah. But the Palomalu jump, like, he did it so well that it made you feel like other people should be able to do this, but clearly are not. <laughs> like, it's incredible that he was able to time the snap like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, okay, the more the more we're sitting here and thinking, like, there's probably other. I mean, Antonio Brown's toe taps on the sidelines, I think would oh, would yeah. you know those were awesome, uh, and it was just the connection he and Ben had, where you know, you know, you need a twenty five yard out, and probably you're gonna get it right now. Like there are situations where we needed it and we got it. Right? Uh, so those are cool. And then Bell's, Le'Veon Bell's, I mean we. Talked a bit about this in the past week over text, but his hesitation, his 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 jump cuts, and just everything about Bell, the way he played, uh, the way, not his personality, but the way he played, uh, was just amazing to watch. So I feel like he could have a number of characteristic moves that should be in the consideration for for the top Steelers moves <laughs> in the last twenty years or so. Oh, yeah. I- I still, oh, I still remember, like, because Bell was at his heyday when we were, like, up and coming and we could not beat the Steelers ever. And just the demoralize, like, when they would hand it off to Bell and he's just standing there and standing there. It's just like, why, why can we not tackle him? Why, like, you know he's going to get five yards and it's the most frustrating thing in the world. You're just like, how, how is this happening? I mean, just wait, 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 and there'd be a hole and he'd get through it. And you're just like... You can play excellent run defense, and he has like a seven-yard gain, and I just—it was very frustrating. Yeah, that was so fun to watch, and it's—it, I got to reminiscing a bit uh, when you sent me a, a video of him running this past week, and I—it does make me sort of want to give him another shot if he wants to give. Like, I don't have any say in this, obviously, but and I, I doubt, I doubt the Steelers would really want to take him up on it, but I would be in favor of just seeing what he can do because he was. He was pretty special back in his prime, and if he's got a semblance of that still, it's just so fun to watch. It's more fun, like, even if we have better running backs, it's just more fun to watch someone run that way than it is to watch, like, the Willie Parker style, just, like, get to the outside as quickly as you can. <laughs> I mean, that's it's exciting, but it's there's something about the way Bell ran that was just different. Yeah, and that clip was, in my opinion, that clip was the reason that Miked Up exists. Like, we need more Miked Up clips like that. Like, the clip that I sent Chris was 
Le'Veon Bell like jukes, I don't even know who it was, a Jacksonville Jaguars defensive lineman. And the involuntary noise that he makes when he gets juked out, he goes like, oh, and it's like the funniest, like, it just makes me laugh so hard every time I watch it. Like, Bell just like hits it and he's just like, oh, and he goes down. It's amazing. I feel like we need more mic'd up like that. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. He doesn't say anything else on the play either. It's just like snap. And then you see this happening and then you see the cut. Oh, <laughs> and he falls over and he says he almost later on, later on the sideline, you hear him say, like, I almost blew up my knee. He moved differently. Yeah. All right. Um, so last dealer question for this episode. We talked in previous episodes about how one of the biggest needs for the Steelers is a corner. Um, so I did a little bit of draft research. Now, it seems like there are like five or six corners that could potentially go in the first round. There's a lot of... So I ended up picking three that I felt pretty good about as uh, first rounders. And I'm not as interested in like the players initially, but just are the players specifically. But the fact that they kind of represent three different archetypes of corner... So I'll kind of describe them each to you and see what you think. What style do you think would work the best with the Steelers with the way they play defense and just like attitude wise where you think that that would fit with the Steeler way. So the three corners I picked, the first one is a guy named Quinion Mitchell from Toledo. And he apparently is someone who's very technically sound. He played at Toledo, which is one of the biggest dings against him. Like people don't know what he looks like against, you know, biggest competition. Although he did play Ohio State a couple times and apparently acquitted himself fairly well. Uh, maybe not like a top end athlete, but he so he's kind of projected as a little more of a zone guy, maybe. Um, second guy is Terion Arnold. He played at Alabama and he's like the more toolsy guy, like got all the traits, got all the physical attributes, but he hasn't played corner that much. He actually started at safety and then was switched to corner, but plays corner really well. And he's probably a better man-to-man guy, like just ultimate athlete, man-to-man corner. And then the last one, my guy from Mizzou, Enos Rakestra Jr., he's a little bit undersized, but he plays basically like LeJarrius Sneed. He plays like very physically, very strong, uh, there's some questions about his long speed, which was also the case with Lejerry Sneed. Uh, so the combine is apparently going to answer a lot of questions about him. Then, you know, the question is whether he can play as physically in the NFL since he's a little undersized. But so are you thinking, would you prefer more of the like technically sound zone guy, the physical freak man guy, or the guy who play gets his success by playing really physically? That's a good question. Um, I think I would lean, well, I would lean away from, I don't know, the, remember the name, Quin, Quinion Mitchell, the, the zone guy, the first one that you mentioned. Um, I think the other two sound more promising to me. I mean, uh, Tyrion Arnold, Alabama, am I getting the name right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, experience at safety is cool, right? I mean, I think that's you know, to have a better sense of what else is going on in the secondary, what the what the person behind you might have to be thinking about. Um, and I think, you know, our best corners have been good man-to-man guys. Like Ike Taylor was a, you know, good man-to-man guy the whole, his whole career, essentially. And right now, I think uh, Joey Porter Jr. likes to man up with the best receiver. So if we can get two really good lockdown man, man-to-man corners, I think that would be uh, 
I mean, everyone wants that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, but but you're likening, um, I don't know if I'm going to get the name right, Ines Reistrad, Ines Reistrad? Ines Reikstra with a K. Reikstra? Yeah. The, the MU, yeah. I mean, the MU corner. Uh, likening him to Lajaria Sneed. <laughs> well, you know I have a thing for Sneed, so... Uh, <laughs> I couldn't be disappointed with with that either. Um, yeah, I don't know how and, to pick between those last two, though. And it sounds like of the three, Rakestraw is the most likely to be available at 20... What was the Steelers pick? 20. I think we're picking at 20. 20. I should probably know this. Yeah. I mean, in theory, any of the three could be available, but I think Mitchell and Arnold are both more likely to go before 20 if we believe what certain people and not other people are saying so <laughs> yeah yeah we i just checked we have, we do have 20 um feels like where we always pick nowadays so just right right at the cusp of the playoffs <laughs> um so that's that's the steelers you want to move on to chiefs now do we have do we have time yeah yeah i think we can get okay. maybe one or two in before our break so the first one maybe we shouldn't even count this is just a sort of another opportunity to to uh, express any thoughts that came up now that you have a little bit more distance from the Super Bowl about the game or even about the season as a whole. Um, just wanted to give you a chance to if you if you had any more reflections now that you have some uh, what two more weeks perspective on it. Yeah, I mean, I think biggest for me is just that. It really is one of those seasons that then makes me feel like maybe we could win it any year, (laughs) you know, like just reflecting on how up and down, you know, we ended the year five and five going into the playoffs and it like the offense really did have a lot of trouble at times, really struggled at times. And the fact that we were able to kind of pick it up and turn this into a Super Bowl winning team was really, really a tribute to everyone involved. So again, I would say to Chiefs fans, we can't be panicking in the middle of the season, especially when we're winning the division. (laughs) Just let it play out and who knows what's going to happen. I think another thought I had is that I didn't really get reflect that much initially on how good Mahomes was to end this game. Like it was such a struggle through a lot of it that to then go back and see, I think he had something like 220 some odd passing yards and another like 25 or 30 rushing yards in the, just in the second half, he really like exploded in the second half of that game and really took control. The fact that he was perfect passing and accounted for a total of like 60 to 70 yards on that final drive with his throwing and running like he just I don't know it was he really is special with his ability to turn things on at the end of games and I don't know that I knew he was good but I didn't realize how good he was at the end of this game until like getting a little distance from it and looking at it um yeah it's it was really, really quite an effort. And, oh, I found out that Mahomes is now the leader in career rushing yards in the Super Bowl for quarterbacks, which I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like yeah, that's 
I mean, that's probably going to hopefully get extended by quite a bit. So it's, yeah. it's really I think crazy. they should. I think every Super Bowl they should have him do like something a little bit unusual or maybe like once a like like have him catch a pass or something like that. So like he can he can get into the running for like most reception in Super Bowl history from here on out. Right? Like if he's going to get into like, you know, 12 Super Bowls or something. Let's uh let's let's try to get some records while we're at it. Right? So, yeah. Um good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's it's right when you think about like who moved them down on those final those final drives i mean it, it was him basically and, and it wasn't like you know when i when i think about the steelers in the super bowl um like i think about the good super bowls and and i think about the against the cardinals uh that final drive there you know it was great drive by ben obviously but but really like santonio holmes did a large chunk of that right so it's not like you can put that all all on Ben and Holmes made, I think all but one of the catches on that drive and, and turned them. He generated a lot of yards there too. So he also dropped a touchdown, but then he caught the touchdown. So anyway, I mean, I think it was, it did, you didn't have a situation like that where it was like, I don't know who between these two to give, to give the, the praise to it was Mahomes pretty much uh, all the way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really a spectacular effort, and I don't know. It, it's it's just something to see how well he can play when the chips are down. He's now, I think, seventeen and fourteen in his career in games where he was losing by double digits, and the rest of the NFL has a combined winning percentage of fifteen point eight percent in that same situation. <laughs> like it's just crazy. <laughs> Like that he's is, over five hundred, and the rest of the league is at fifteen point eight percent. You're down by like fourteen points. You're thinking this is fine, right? This is like the, the situation where everyone else thinks, well, where, you know, this is like the, it's like the dog in the burning building meme or whatever, right? For Chiefs fans, it really is fine at that point, right? For everyone else, it's. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so, how about this? Uh, Next question: uh, What what were your what were your your top three off season priorities for the Chiefs? If you had to say like what what do they need to, presumably these are positions to address, although they could be other things, um, people to sign or or whatnot. If you had to pick three things that you most want them to do, well, I think the the real big things, everything kind of hinges on whether they're going to be able to bring back Snead and or Chris Jones. So. I think for the purposes of this exercise, I, I feel pretty good right now thinking we're going to bring back one. Uh, I would set the over-under at one and a half of the two of them that we're going to bring back. Um, let's assume, I think before, let's, two weeks ago I felt pretty good that we were bringing back Sneed and probably not Jones. I think my opinions changed on that, but I will save that for a later question that I'm going to ask you. Um, but if Jones were to go, I think number one priority is going to be defensive line, especially the interior. We're really thin at defensive line in general right now. Charles Amenehue tore his ACL in the AFC title game, so he's not going to be there for at least half the year. So even at defensive end, we've got Karloftis. We don't have 
Omenihu anymore. We have Felix Anudike Uzoma, who was our first-round draft pick last year, who was really raw and essentially redshirted. So we'll kind of have to see what we can get from him. So our ends are light, and Mike Dana, another defensive end, is a free agent. Then at defensive tackle, we have nothing without Chris Jones. Like, Tershawn Wharton, who also played, is a free agent. Derek Nottie's a free agent. So we're definitely going to have to do something to shore up the interior of our line if we don't have Chris Jones. Uh, priority two is wide receiver. I think we need to, in my opinion, sign a guy and draft a guy. And who we sign and who we draft is dependent on how much, how many resources we put into the other option. I would be fine with like signing a mid-tier guy and then drafting a guy in the top couple rounds, or signing like a Mike Evans type and then drafting someone a little bit later. Um, and just as long as, I don't think the Chiefs need to panic on this front. I just think they need to be reasonable. I wouldn't want to overpay a guy. Uh, I'm fine with like a deal like we did with Juju a couple years ago. Just get a guy who's looking for something and give him a year for like eight to 10 million. Um, and then number three for me is probably going to be offensive tackle. Uh, so we have Joan Taylor on the right side. We have Wanya Morris under contract on the left side. Wanya Morris had a couple good games as a run blocker and then kind of really struggled. Donovan Smith, who was in that position, is now a free agent. And I'd be fine with bringing him back on like a one-year deal like we did last year. Um, but I think we need some kind of answer at left tackle unless we really believe in Wanya. And if that's the case... I'm okay with us addressing the interior because we now, you know, Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith are both in the last year of their contracts coming up this year. Nick Allegretti, who was our backup interior lineman, is a free agent. So we need to think about that area too before it gets out of hand. So assuming Chris Jones is gone, I'm going to go interior defense, defensive line, although I wouldn't be mad about addressing the end then wide receiver, then tackles, but I wouldn't be mad about interior offensive line instead. How much does that change if uh, Jones isn't gone and, and let's say Snead is? If we lose Jones, or if we lose Snead and we gain keep Jones, I'm still not that worried about the secondary. Um, I don't want that to happen, but... We have McDuffie, and we can, like... Basically, we, we're not going to be like we were last, this past year where it was like we can do so many crazy things on defense because McDuffie and Snead can just lock everybody up. But we won't be in that position anymore. But if we rode with McDuffie and then we have Jalen Watson, Joshua Williams, who are good corners, they're just not amazing corners, maybe we devote, like, another mid, you know late day two or day three pick on a corner because we've been okay at like looking at guys in that range and we do have we had a guy that we have a guy named nazi johnson who was a seventh round pick two years ago who was apparently awesome in training camp and then tore his acl so if he's anything then you know that might be another person so from a numbers standpoint it makes more sense to let sneed go but I, I don't know. It's just such a weapon to be able to 
be set at corner and be able to be that much more creative on defense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, that, that dovetails very nicely with another question that I had for you, which maybe we could briefly address before taking a break. Um, you've, you've talked a bit about this before, um, but if you had to only keep one between Snead and Jones, who would you want to keep at this point? Uh, um, man, that's hard because I think like money wise, well, so the answer for me was Sneed before and the answer now might be Jones and the difference has been the change in the salary cap, uh, you know, which I won't get into a bunch because I have a question for you about it, but because we have a little extra wiggle room, I do, and I, the problem is like Chris Jones's agents have not proven to be the most fun to negotiate with. And if they see the salary cap going up as an opportunity to kind of gouge us for more money, that would be tough. But like, I think we could give him the, like, you know, he really wanted 30 million a year last year. I'm okay with giving him 30 million a year this year with the new salary cap situation. So if we could get him 30 million a year for, you know, let's do three year, $90 million deal or something, fine, let's do that. Uh, I think we should be able to get Sneed too if we did that with Jones, but that's, you know, if we had to pick one, I guess I would pick to do that because as much as I love LeJerry Sneed and we would miss him dearly, we just have more options in the secondary than we do at defensive line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought you would say. When I first wrote this question, it was, if you could only keep one, why would it be Jones? <laughs> uh, so I think that's what I was expecting. But but you, you were more ambivalent about that than I than I was thinking. Um, I mean, I don't blame you. I think Snead is awesome. And I like what you can do when you have two shutdown quarterbacks like that is just, it's awesome. <laughs> that's what, that's what, that's the dream, I think. Um, I mean, we were able to man up San Francisco, which nobody else could do successfully. Like that, I feel like yeah. that's the reason we beat them because we had those two great corners. I mean, one of many, but a key reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, do you want to take a break and then come back and and do a little bit more chief stuff and then general NFL stuff? Sounds good. And we're back. All right, uh, we'll continue on with more of the state of the Chiefs. Yeah, so um, I have, well, in some sense, you kind of already addressed this one. Um, and it's highly contingent on, I guess, what they do with Jones and Sneed. But what position do you want them to be targeting in the draft, especially in the first round of the draft? Yeah, um, you know, drafting where we are at the end of the first round, it doesn't sound like there's a ton there as far as interior defensive line. There's a guy named... Byron Murphy, the second out of Texas that people are saying is really good, but I don't think he's going to be there at 32. There are a ton of receivers in this draft, which makes it seem like, you know, do you wait or do you feel like there's enough top-end talent that you can pick somebody that... We've been mocked like a couple guys. There's a guy named Jalen Polk out of Washington. There's a guy named Adonai Mitchell out of Texas. Uh, 
I know more about Polk than I do about Mitchell. Like Polk was the second best receiver on Washington after their star Roma Dunze, who's definitely not going to be available at thirty two. But Polk seems like he's like a good route runner. Uh, he's somebody that can separate. Maybe doesn't have like great long speed. Um, but it sounds like maybe he's like more of a wide receiver two than a wide receiver one, which is fine with me. You know, like mm-hmm. I feel like a wide receiver two is perfectly fine, at least in our offense where Kelsey kind of operates as the wide receiver one anyway. And I think with Mahomes, you kind of just need to have a couple guys that can reliably get open. You don't need a superstar per se. So the other guy who keeps coming up, who I think is would be very intriguing to me, is this guy named Lad McConkey out of Georgia, who really looks and you know I, I hate to make this comparison because it's like the white guy for white guy comparison, but he's very like Julian Edelman, um, which I think could be cool because weirdly enough, I think that would be like a Travis Kelsey replacement when Kelsey retires, like. He's a great separator. He gets open in like short intermediate areas, uh, just really reliable to get open. He has like kind of been hurt a little bit. Like he got hurt this year and missed some games and he got hurt last year or maybe the year before. But the Chiefs are always very cautious about injury stuff. So if he ends up being there and I would not be unhappy drafting someone like him or Polk I need to look into Ad- Adonai Mitchell more to see. Like People seem very excited about him, but I don't know anything about him. So maybe he would be mm-hmm. even better. But, so if we really feel like those receivers are like top-end quality that we can get down there, I'm fine with that. Um, it sounds like there are a ton of corners that could go in the first round. If we do lose Snead, I don't think that's an immediate area of need, and I don't know that. But... Veach has really shown that if someone is like really good in his eyes and they fall, he'll draft them even if they're in a position that we kind of have. Um, I don't think you go interior offensive line that early. You know, there are, there is the ability to get defensive interior players later in the draft. Maybe not pass rushers, but definitely your run stuffing guys you could get even later. So, I don't know. I I think ultimately it would be nice to go receiver. It would also be nice to... I wouldn't mind like stocking up at another end if some an end falls. I wouldn't want interior offensive line. If a tackle fell, I would be fine with that, like a left tackle. But I'm really kind of looking at those receivers. If there's anyone who we feel like kind of falls below their draft value, or since there's so many corners, if somebody falls below their draft value, both of those would be perfectly fine with me. Or if a left tackle fell, those are kind of the three most likely, I think. Hmm. Do you think the surplus of corners um, plays into uh, their decisions about Snead and Jones and when they're thinking about who they can keep? I think it could. Uh, I I do think that more than anything, though, it's just going to be the money. Like Brett Veach historically actually has not put in a lot of resources into the cornerback position. Um, He drafted McDuffie in the first round, and besides that, he hasn't done anything more than a fourth-rounder on a corner. Sneed's a fourth-rounder. So if he kind of resorts to that line of thinking, it wouldn't surprise me if he let Sneed walk for that reason and that reason alone. 
But having two great corners has just been so good that it makes you wonder. And the, the other thing about Snead that makes him different, and McDuffie is this way too, is that they play the slot and outside well. So it's not like you're just getting an outside corner. Um, and both of them, not so much Snead anymore, even though he did play safety in college. Uh, but McDuffie will drop and cover like a deep half too. Um, so I definitely think that that, I don't know. I, anyway, I, I just think Snead is, or I think Veach is really just going to look at if he feels like someone drops in value, he's going to pick him. And he shows that he doesn't really care that much positionally, but he does seem to have the ability to find good corners late and to make them into people that get big free agent contracts like Snead and Charverius Ward before him. Charverius yeah. Ward was an undrafted free agent by the Cowboys, and we traded a, a lineman for him out of training camp. And so, I don't know, maybe Veach just thinks he's got it. Yeah, well, he might have it. <laughs> uh, sounds like like how we used to approach wide receivers. We like, I mean, usually we drafted them and we knew what we were doing somehow or other, but, uh, but we do not know what we're doing with corners historically. So, um, uh, okay. Last question I have for you about the chiefs. Um, what realistically speaking, um, what do you think the biggest mistake is that they could make this off season? Like, so think about like a mistake that they could make in team building, presumably. I mean, I guess it could be, some player goes and does something stupid, but that's hard to predict. So, like the biggest mistake that you think is a realistic possibility of happening that they would they would do, and you would be uh, worried about. I think the biggest mistake they could make would be, like as as far as something I could actually see happening, would be them being like, "Well, last year proved that Mahomes can make anyone good, so we don't need to invest in pass catchers at all. <laughs> like, so we can just run it back like we did last year." Let's see if, you know, Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony and all them can figure it out. Like, this whole crowd won a Super Bowl last year, so we don't need to upgrade at all. I think that would be a huge mistake and would be terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would be a mistake in maybe a couple different ways, too, right? It would be a mistake in the sense that it's uh, not clear that that they are going to be reliable going forward, uh, no matter how good Mahomes uh, plays although if he can play like he played in the playoffs maybe maybe they'll be fine um but also you kind of would you know you know i mean i guess this is not so much of a worry you you know Mahomes isn't going anywhere but you want to make him kind of happy he's done some great things for you give him some some people that you know uh are gonna let him have fun i guess <laughs> and then, uh not to take a shot at your current wide receivers but you know i think that Keep the franchise quarterback happy is not a bad idea. No, I think I think that's a really legitimate consideration. <laughs> that like you want to do things that make him happy and uh, don't and and also if nothing else, like this is a guy that throws. He has five touchdown games every year, and he didn't have one this year. You know, mm-hmm. did he have a four touchdown game? I think he might have had one, but. Like, this this was such an aberration for Mahomes statistically. Like, you have a guy that can be put up spectacular numbers without anything too crazy as far as his weapons. And so it should give you some pause to see, like, how that... And I understand if, if the calculus is that, like, 
we had to choose defense or pass catchers and we wanted defense, I'm all in for that. But I do think we have the ability to make multiple moves with how young our defense is. Um, and so I think neglecting the pass catchers would be a big mistake this year. Yeah. Seems seems right to me, but what do I know? Um, okay. Well, that's all I have for you on the current state of the Chiefs. Do you want to move on to some general NFL questions? Yeah, let's do... Uh, I can start us out with the question that I've been kind of jumping around this entire segment. So I can ask it and we can actually discuss it. Um, so the NFL salary cap jumped $30 million. Now we're up at $255.4 million, which is about $10 million over what a lot of sites like Over the Cap and them had been projecting just like a week ago. Um, so, you know, the initial thought that everybody has is like, yes, my team has way more money to spend. But like then when you sit and think about it, you know, everybody's cap number is going up. So what kinds of teams do you think actually will benefit from this since everybody gets the cap space and since free agents also know that everybody has cap space and will probably ask for more? Like what teams do you think are actually going to benefit from this? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I mean, so here's one point of unclarity for me, which is sort of what are the considerations that go into how much they raise the cap and how much they decide to do that? Um, because in theory, they raise it, if they raised it, you know, if they raised it, raised it way too high, then teams that have a lower sort of revenue stream are going to be kind of disadvantaged. <laughs> um, so that could be, a cons- I mean, I don't really know how realistic of a consideration that is um, for a lot of teams, but it, it seems like a possibility. Um, I mean, I know with the revenue sharing that it should be relatively equal, but I actually don't even know how that works, to be honest. So, so maybe it, there's all sorts of like unknowns for me over here about <laughs> about exactly uh, how much money each team would have to spend um, uh, in a situation where they they weren't near the cap. But um, uh, so so that's one question, or just exactly how that works. And, and to be honest, I I should probably know more about it. Um, the other well, what other considerations are there here? I mean... Well, to, to address that one, so my rudimentary understanding, at least, is that every owner seems to have the means to spend up to the cap. Like, so the cap, I, I believe, is determined based on numbers from like revenue from the last couple of years, maybe even just the last year. And it's calculated as a percentage of revenue, which is like owed to the players. So that percentage of total revenue goes in the player pool and it's divided by 32 and so each team has to spend that much and that becomes the cap is my understanding that's probably mm-hmm. an overly simplistic understanding but i think that at least gets us in the ballpark of how it works now i do think it's true that some owners have like cash limits that they're not willing to spend above but that doesn't necessarily mean cap because they could structure contracts in a way that people have a high cap numbers, but they're not actually spending that much cash in a particular right. year. But I, I do think my understanding, at least the way that the people I follow, which to be fair, is not a very owner friendly group of people. They believe that owners have the means to spend all this and most quote unquote, uh, cheap behavior by owners is completely owner driven, not by like a lack of resources to actually spend. Mm. Okay. Well, let's operate with that assumption then, that it's not going to uh, 
Wait, we if 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 someone is not spending, that that's on the owner. That's not on their inability to to spend. Um, so who does this advantage? I mean, it clearly advantages the players, right? Or it helps the players, right? Their, their contracts get get bigger and bigger. Um, uh, what team does it help? I don't know. Do you have thoughts on that? I'm, it's not obvious to me how to how to think about that yet. Um, I think so. The the one thing that I feel fairly concretely or fairly confident about my opinion about is I think it helps teams that have players that are going into free agency that are potentially franchise taggable because the franchise tag is determined based on existing salaries, not based on the cap. Uh, so the cap yeah. going up doesn't increase the franchise tag. So you like, that's why I love this situation with Sneed and Jones, because in theory, if we now now Jones's tag number is very high because uh, it's higher than defensive tackle, and I don't remember the reason why, but it it's hmm. something to do with like I believe that the tag is done as an average of the top five salary earners on like salary per year at your position, but I remember reading that that came out to like in the twenty millions, but Chris Jones's tag number is thirty two. So I don't remember why. I think it has something to do with how his last deal was reworked or something. Uh, because the only other exception I remember to that rule is that if you've been tagged before, then the tag that you get the next year is 120% of the previous one. But for some reason, Chris Jones's number is very high. But one thing that you can say for certain in a negotiation is that whatever the tag number is should be like a hard ceiling on the annual salary per year that you're willing to give someone on a multi-year deal. Because it's like, well, we're guaranteeing you more money, like we're not gonna pay you more per year than the franchise tag is, we'll just tag you if that was the case. Yeah. Um, so at least for the Chiefs, it kind of helps at, well, your limit is 32, you know, your tag number. You want a $30 million a year deal, we were less likely to do that with the cap being lower. Now we have 10 million extra cap space this year. Like maybe we can do that. So I think it really helps those kinds of negotiations. And I, it makes me feel like, you know, if you have somebody hitting the market anew, uh, it kind of helps in that negotiation because it does sound like too that deals are made based on previous deals, you know, not so like, I think that would be helpful, but I, you know, when you're starting to get another team's free agent and you don't have the potential for the salary cap to act as like a buffer on negotiations, then, or sorry, you don't have the franchise tag to act as a buffer mm -hmm. on negotiations, then I don't know, maybe that is more helpful for the player. I'm not sure. Yeah, I see that. Uh, that's a good point though about, about the, um, the franchise tag being based on current salaries uh so it clearly is advantageous to the chiefs in that respect right now um i mean it, it does seem in general too that it's advantageous to have a larger than expected um uh cap increase that's helpful to the teams at the very top because they probably have more players that are going to be wanting big deals right now and so it's probably helpful to the chiefs to have extra space at this point um whereas if you're if you're the steelers and you would like to have players that you want to pay a lot. <laughs> I mean, we have some, of course, but uh, uh, or other teams that that are sort of like you know, yeah, they 
they don't have the the talent that someone like the Chiefs has, then um, it's probably less of a less of a worry for them or less of a help to them. But, what do you think about this, actually? Now that we're talking about this, I have a theory to... I, this is not a fully formed theory, but I wonder what you think about this. I would think that the cap going up would be more beneficial to teams that have very limited cap space because the difference between having like 10 and 20 million is a lot different from the difference between 50 and 60 million. You know, like if you already had a ton of cap space, this jump probably doesn't help you as much as somebody who, because I remember somebody tweeting, I think it was Eric Eager, somebody that I follow, who tweeted the phrase, uh, I, I'm going to butcher this, but but the basic concept was the uh, like getting gaining more cap space, like having adding cap space to cap space is less beneficial than having less cap space is detrimental. I don't even know if I said that correctly, but <laughs> the lack of cap space is way more of a problem than an abundance of cap space is a good thing. So decreasing your lack of cap space is way more beneficial to you than increasing an already abundance of cap space. So I wonder if teams in that area will benefit more because it gives you some wiggle room. Whereas like, does it really change your strategy if you have 50 versus $60 million of cap space? I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, diminishing marginal returns as you have the more cap space you already have, the less that another 10 million is going to do for you. Um, yeah, that seems right. I mean, who, I don't know. I, I mean, the cap is a very complex, <laughs> complex beast, but it does seem from my naive understanding of it that that, that would be, that would be right. Um, what, okay. Let me think. I, I'm trying to decide which of my general NFL questions I should ask for uh, ask to you here. I, so, I mean, since we're approaching talk of the draft, or at least the time when people talk about the drafts, um, the draft singular, I'm curious about uh, the appeal of the mock draft. Um, and to be honest, I think I'm kind of missing something, and I have been for perhaps my entire football fandom, but I've never really understood the appeal of the mock draft. I mean, it just feels too far removed from any of the things that are genuinely exciting for me to actually care about what someone guesses my team might do, which doesn't even affect the on-field play until potentially another year down the road. I just don't know. I don't get it. And if maybe maybe you get it and can enlighten me about why, I'm, why I should be caring more about this. But do you, do you know why this is such a thing? I don't know. I... Well, I will say, like, I do read mock drafts. I don't know that, especially now, I think I used to care about them a lot more about 10 or 15 years ago when very few people did them. So, like, <laughs> there was an assumption, probably falsely in my head at that time, that these people knew something. Like, you know, and that at least it was, to me, a way to give relative value to players because I had no concept of how to evaluate a college player, which to be fair, I don't know now even. But at least now as somebody who knows that these are essentially meaningless, it, it is hard to, I think to me, the value is just seeing what people think my team should do or what it could do. And then like, 
seeing what people think about specific players so that when they go off the board, I'll know whether I should be mad or not before, before my team. <laughs> because yeah. someone, someone will be drafted and I'll be like, yay, yeah, no, I don't know. <laughs> right. This is often how, how I approach the draft. I, I listen to what my whoever I follow uh, thinks we should do. And honestly, I don't know if they know what they you know how much they really know about who should who's going to pan out i mean i don't know how i mean this is drafts crapshoot anyway right like isn't this no one really knows how these things are going to go um but it does give me something to be a little bit angry about or a little excited about when when things fall a certain way right um but beyond that i i but that's really i don't know yeah i i get it just feels too far I, the things that I get most excited about are like making a good play or making a like an awesome play that wins a game or something like that. And this is just too far removed from that for me to really. Uh, there's like a level of uncertainty, and then there's a level of like just if this pans out into those big plays, it's not going to be for a while. Probably a lot of like a lot of the draft picks we make are not going to be good for any, at least another year. Um, so I, I I don't know. I mean. Like I would probably get more excited about about doing like a mock game. Like we could, we could just like imagine how how a game goes or something. Like, uh, I mean, like I guess I don't know if that's really a thing that people do, but um, I mean, give game previews and things like that. But I I don't know. It's it's the kind of thing that I I just feel like I've been missing something for my entire football career, as as it were. Uh, you know, I think people do that in baseball. They have like sim leagues where you like can draft players and I think based on their statistics and projections they simulate a season and like you actually like play games against I, I honestly don't know how detailed it is but I know that people do this and <laughs> it sounds like the kind of thing that we would do if it was there for football <laughs> yeah I could see it um, it's the kind of thing that well Objectively, it's a waste of time, right? But 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 it's, I guess all these things are well. That's a that's a whole other question. Maybe maybe <laughs> I'll wait to ask you a bit about that later. But um, why are we fans of football teams in the first place? But um, but I'll, I'll put that one on the shelf for now. Um, all right. You want to well, intersperse I, these, or do you want me to go again? No, I've got another question for you, um, and. I had actually written this down, I think, before we recorded our first podcast, uh, but it has bubbled to the surface again because I don't know if you heard that, you know, there are reports that Andy Reid is uh, going in negotiations right now for a contract that's going to make him the highest paid head coach in the NFL. And, you know, I remember all those things about Andy Reid retiring. And so I just have to put it to you this way. Does Mike Florio like football? Like, what is this guy's deal? Like, like he, like, completely made up this whole thing. Uh, not made up, but you know what I mean? Like, there was never a credible report that Andy Reid was thinking about retiring. Mike Florio just said Andy Reid might retire, and then everybody was citing Mike Florio as someone who... And, like, it doesn't seem like Andy Reid has been thinking about retiring at all. And he was the same guy that was talking about Tomlin retiring, too, wasn't he? Like I think that's what I was trying to remember. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And like this is the guy that like before the first time we played the 49ers said that the 49ers strategy should be to try basically to like 
hit Mahomes like maybe a little after the whistle and maybe like it's worth the risk and like I don't know. I I don't understand this man. Like he follows football for a living now. His own choice. Like I looked him up and he's apparently like uh he went to CMU actually, Carnegie Mellon. And he did metallurgical engineering and then he did law school at West Virginia and then just decided to start writing about football in two thousand. Started this website in two thousand one and then became like he's very well sourced and I think a lot of agents really like him but like I don't get a lot that makes me feel like he is genuinely likes the game like this is his job now and he just makes rumors and he throws a bunch of stuff around and he tweets things about how like the preseason's stupid and all like I don't know I, I don't I just don't understand Mike Flory I don't understand what he wants I don't understand what he's trying to do yeah, I mean, this is, uh, I mean, one of my questions was perhaps tied to the sort of media culture around around the league, and this might be related to that, but it does seem like there's a lot of, you know, we'll generate some articles here by generating, it is possible that Andy Reid retires, right? So we'll we'll put the Andy Reid might retire story front and center, or it is possible that Mike Tomlin retires, or it's possible that he wants to move on, given what we know. It's just, you know, you make a story out of nothing and then that story's out there and then other people start talking about it and they start asking about it. And, and you can see why a coach or a player would just get, you know, fed up with this kind of thing, right? Like this is just, you know, uh, totally manufactured from the get-go. And But but as a fan, it's hard to know because sometimes these aren't manufactured and sometimes, so you have to sort of try to read through um, and it's not, not always easy. Um, this is the same thing I was saying about when, when Mike Tomlin, the rumors were, were, were spinning around that he might want to leave after the season. Um, it, it just felt like when you dug down, it looked like the, the initial report was something like he could do it. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and of course he could do it, right? Yes. Uh, uh, but then that seemed to be spun into thinking, oh, he, he's thinking about it or he, want, he might want to do it, right? And it's just a story that perpetuates itself um so it's a frustrating scenario. i mean right so you can see why you can see why this kind of thing would would happen right you know they they want to drum up excitement and, and news stories and, and whatnot but um and i wondered if i mean maybe i'll just if you have more to say on this i don't want to uh shut down the topic but it, i i think it sort of segues nicely into one of the other questions i was going to ask you about the Chargers again are now again being talked up as well. Maybe they have the the uh, the pieces to beat the Chiefs or to dethrone the Chiefs. Uh, not even a month after the Chiefs just won the Super Bowl. Um, and, I mean, this is a perpetual thing every off season, right? We have this kind of story about the Chargers, and I wonder where it's coming from. And and it, probably there's there's a lot to say about where it comes from, but I wonder how much of it is, you know, the Chargers have always had a sort of touch and go fan base. I mean, not a, not a suit, you know, they're always, their stadium's always populated by other teams' fans, right? And so I, it does feel like the league would have an interest in trying to drum up interest in the Chargers, right? Um, I wonder how much, I mean, this is just very speculative, but I wonder how much of that is really um, going on there, right? The league trying to generate excitement about a team like this. Yeah, I, I don't know what, with the Chargers, I don't know, because I feel like this has been happening since they were in San Diego. Like, like I don't know what it is with the Chargers. That, like, and 
Maybe part of it is like about that team. They they always seem to have players that are like interesting and flashy and you know, going back to like when they were good with Ladanian Tomlinson and Antonio Gates. And then it was like after that it was like, well they still have Phil Rivers and they still have Antonio Gates and you know, then they come in and they draft Joey Bosa and it just always seems like for whatever, and then ultimately we end up with Herbert, and there's like enough flash there that that it seems exciting enough that people just talk themselves into it. And even people that I really respect are like, you know, if the Chargers could just stay healthy, you know, Brett Coleman, who's like a big, he's a YouTuber that like is such a good film reviewer that he's been hired by the NFL to like review some of their all 22 and make videos about it. And I think he's now employed by the Chargers, actually. But he, he was saying last year, like, oh, you know, like, if the Chargers had just stayed healthy, like, you know, Herbert got hurt and this happened. And it's just like, goodness, it's every year. Like, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe there is some interest in making the, the like, bringing, I, I don't get it. Like, because it's one team. Like, all, like, I get it with the Cowboys and stuff. Like, everybody talks about the Cowboys all the time. But the Chargers? Like, nobody talks about the Chargers. Or, like, nobody cares about the Chargers as fan-wise. But every yeah. year, it just becomes a thing. Like, oh, the Chargers are going to win the West. The Chargers are going to win the West. Okay. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be honest. Like, I often have thought, like, you know, it seems like they have the they they have the pieces or something. But, but it's, I don't know how much that is just sort of... A, that belief is a result of the of the media narrative also it probably usually is because yeah they have some flashy players i guess but um but they it's not like they're winning the super bowls i don't yeah. <laughs> no i don't know where this belief is coming from but um anyway do you have anything more to say about the um um what whatever i shut down discussion of what did i shut down discussion? oh the florio discussion well yeah. just that just that I think the thing that uniquely bothers me about Mike Florio is that it's interesting, like, as a fan, you know, you're talking about how as a fan, it can be hard to, like, tease out what's real and what's not. I feel like what we usually lean on is, like, we know the hacks from the source people, usually, you know, like, there, when Skip Bayless says something, like, I don't care, or, like, those talking head people, like, you just let that go, but at least in the past, like Mike Florio, we know is very well connected. He sometimes gets scoops before everybody else and somehow has decided to parlay that into just like, I think that the part of it that annoys me the most is that he's just so, it seems like he's so mad about everything. Like why? What, <laughs> like what, what makes you so mad? Like you chose to do this and cover people. Like, like you know, he get he got to a feud with Kyle Shanahan for a little while. It's, I don't get it. Like, I, I don't know. I Like, what are you so mad about, Mike Florio? <laughs> like, what's the problem? It, it really feels like he doesn't like football. I, I, I'm just like, why are you doing this then? Maybe he's bitter like, that this is what he's doing now. It's like, I liked football and now I, now I hate it or something. <laughs> uh, yeah. We should, that should be the, the title of this episode. Uh, what are you so mad about, Mike Florio? <laughs> what are you so um, mad about, Mike Florio? Yeah, I just don't get it. I, I like, every time... Now, like, the, I, it just feels like of all the, like, well-sourced, like, reputable websites, when you see something dumb or annoying, it's always 
pro football talk. Like, it's not, you know, it's, you don't hear, like, Peter Schrager from Good Morning Football, like, saying something just complete, or, I mean, Adam Schefter has his moments of saying things yeah. that you're just kind of like, oh, I don't know about that. But Jay Glazer <laughs> isn't saying a bunch of dumb stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's annoying. Jay Glazer said, I think something in the, I don't, I don't think he was the first, but he did say something in the Mike Tomlin spin cycle there. Oh, he um, did? <laughs> which, I mean, to be fair to that story, I guess, Tomlin was a little bit more cagey about his future. In the, I mean, we talked about this in another podcast, but he was more cagey about his future um, in this end-of-year press conference than usual. So, um, again, there, there could be negotiating reasons why he's, he's saying that what he's saying there but i mean okay there could still be so i still i still accord a little bit of credence to the fact that maybe he was thinking about whether or when he would want to step down at least yeah but i don't think andy reed was ever thinking about retirement like i <laughs> you know i mike flora is a lawyer so i don't want to make him mad and try to sue me or something but i personally it is my belief i am alleging that <laughs> there was no basis to any of this about andy reed retiring I don't think he was considering it at all. And I just don't, I don't know. And if that came from somebody else who didn't seem to actively hate everything about football and talk about, like, just complain all the time about different things that are happening in football, maybe I would not care so much. I don't know. This is something I should examine. I didn't realize how mad Mike Florio makes me. Like, why? Why do I care so much? I don't know. But clearly he makes me mad. <laughs> Well, it's good to have uh, semi-personal relationships with these people. <laughs> um, do you want to, let's see, want to take a break and then come back and do some anecdotes? <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Okay. And we're back. Um, well, during our break, we had some exciting news. Exciting is one word for it, yeah. Um, probably I'm more excited about this than you are. I don't know. Um, do you want to? Do you want to break the story? All right. Well, it turns out that while we were taking our break, uh, the Chiefs have apparently had discussions with Legarius Sneed, and it's been reported now that they're planning to use the franchise tag on him. Uh, with he's still going to have the ability to kind of talk to other teams. And the idea is that if he they do not agree on a deal, then they are willing to trade him on the tag. Um, so yeah, are you, are you excited? <laughs> well, I'm a little excited. I mean, I still would like Snead uh, to be a Steeler, uh, and I don't I don't have any confidence that we'll draft uh, cornerback well. So uh, he's a proven commodity, and I love the way he plays the game. So I I would be excited about uh, the possibility of of trading for him. I don't know what, what we would have to give up, but um, how do you feel about this, though? So I was trying to formulate my thoughts during the break. I've got a couple. Um, first thing, I guess, is the most obvious thing, which is just that clearly the Chiefs were not comfortable losing Sneed without some compensation, that they feel like he is valuable to the point that he needs... We need to get something for him if we lose him. I'm a little troubled by the kind of way it was presented by Jeremy Fowler in his initial report because it, 
you know, oftentimes the franchise tag is used, like we discussed earlier in this episode, that it's like a starting point for a negotiation for a long-term deal. But the Chiefs are seemingly like, you, you can go talk to anybody else and see what you... So it's almost like the Chiefs may not be viewing it that way. Or, uh, you know, it, it, they yeah. said Kansas City's open as an option, but this isn't solely a negotiating tactic. This is like, you can go see what other deals you can get. And if you like what contract you get from somebody else and they're willing to compensate us in a trade, then we'll trade you there. So I don't know. This is almost like a modified free agency just with a little more leverage for the Chiefs, which I wish the goal of this was to solely negotiate with Snead, but it doesn't seem like it's... This is a lot more like when Tyreek Hill was talking to us and we were like, well, see what kind of... what you can get somewhere else. And he got the deal he wanted from mm-hmm. Miami and we were like, all right, we'll trade for you. Trade you then, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Does it... Does it... Um, does it... Aff- well, so so the one point, right, is that it seems like their their stance is that they're more open to losing him than you might have been hoping that they were. Um, how did, does it affect how you're thinking about the Chris Jones situation? Well, I I think there are two things about that. One is clearly thirty two million was too much for them for franchising Jones, right? They're not willing to tie up that much cap space. A lot of cap space was tied up last year. While we were negotiating with Jones, sorry, I ate some almonds and I have some almond pieces stuff. Uh, yeah, so we had a lot of uh, cap space tied up while negotiating with him, and they just don't seem like they want to do that anymore. But thirty-two million, too big of a cap number. Sneed is more like nineteen, I think. So I think they're willing to hold that cap number and still have some money to play around with. The other thought I have is like maybe. They feel pretty good that if they let Jones out on the market, he's not going to get the deal that he thinks he's going to get. And mm-hmm. so then maybe they'll still have a chance to get him. Because you feel like either they have some plan at defensive line to get somebody else, which we'll know soon. Because Brett Feach, when he's trying to fill a hole, unless he thinks he's going to do it in the draft, he does it pretty quick. Like last year, Jawan Taylor got his deal from us really early. When we signed Joe Tooney... After the 2020 season, again, it was very early. Like, when he really wants to plug a hole, he really likes going into the draft feeling good or at least okay about every position. So if we don't think Chris is coming back and we can find another way to fill that hole, I think we're going to do it really early in free agency. Mm-hmm. But my hope is that maybe the idea is that he's not going to get the deal that he thinks he is, and we feel strongly about that, and so we are gonna kind of let him go try and then hopefully come back to us knock on wood yeah i mean there's plenty of reasons that one would want to play for the chiefs nowadays so there's always that um it's interesting the describing uh veach's approach though i think for a while now the Steelers have kind of had a different approach where they wait until very late to to try to plug holes that seemed like they were holes the whole off season um uh, you know, in recent years, it's, uh, I'm trying to come up with names here, and obviously I'm having trouble right now. But we've had, you know, we've signed people, even, you know, in probably mid-August, <laughs> uh, where, where they were filling holes that I thought, you know, wasn't that a hole the whole off season? Um, I like I like Beach's approach, and I, I mean, we've only had Omar Khan for for one one half off season, kind of one off season um so 
maybe he'll approach things differently, but I'm curious to see if, um, you know, the Veach approach seems smarter. Yeah, because it seems like, you know, I think starting with Belichick, there was this kind of belief through the league, which, you know, a lot of smart football people ascribe to the idea that, like, don't waste resources, don't go for the big money, like, pick up small, like, save your cap, pick up small signings that deliver more value than the cap number. And the same idea with the draft, trade down, accumulate picks, get as many swings as you can. And Brett Veach doesn't, like, completely eschew that idea, but he definitely is fine going the other way when he feels strongly. He's like, if there's a guy I like, I'm going to go up and get it. We've traded up a lot of times. And I think it's the same in free agency. Like, he seems to be okay on both ends of this, that he will go after the guy he likes and commit resources, and he's really looking at the bottom of the barrel and trying very hard to try to pick up value there, too. I just want to comment on your pronunciation of the word eschew there. I had always pronounced that as a shoe, and now I googled it, and it looks like it is a hard ch. I'm just going to listen to what Google tells me this sounds like. Oh yeah, that's a hard ch. Um, Wow, okay. Well, thank you for uh, not making me look like a fool when I pronounce that. I'm sure I have looked like a fool in the past, (laughs) but it is eschew, folks, not eschew. Anyway, I, I don't think I took the my take home from that that point was probably not what you intended it to be. But I, I feel like I have learned a lot here. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know if if you see anything about the way that we interact, I feel like that's usually what our take home. You know, <laughs> like our our take homes are generally things that most people would not be taking from a conversation. And I don't I don't mean that yeah. as a compliment to us at all. <laughs> no, we focus on the uh, things of less significance, you might say. <laughs> um, okay. Any anything else uh, to discuss before we um, reminisce? <laughs> I don't think so. I just, I, I am, I'm interested in this bet. Man, it, it does, it does, like, I'm starting to, as I'm getting, processing this more, I am feeling a little bummed that it does seem like the initial goal is not to bring Snead back. Like, this, this really does feel, and hopefully something will change. Maybe the initial portrayal wasn't right, but it seems like this is very much going like the Tyreek Hill situation, although Tyreek mm-hmm. wasn't a free agent, but it kind of feels yeah. like that. I, I one yeah. I guess you wonder what the market would be for Snead right now. I'm, I mean, having just been on a Super Bowl winning team and played very well, very prominently, all season, I think it probably is quite high right now. Uh, so I he mean, might be if, right that he can get a good deal that way. Yeah, I mean, if there were ever a sell high season, like this is clearly the best season of his career. Like one could argue, better have someone else pay that then pay you for it rather than you pay it yourself. I mean, I could hear that argument. And the one thing that Brett Veach has not compromised on, except for Travis Kelsey, and I guess you could argue argue Joe Tooney, he does not like paying people past 30. And Sneed's already 27. He was an older Mm -hmm. guy coming out of the draft. I mean, it's the Chris Jones issue, too. Chris Jones is going to turn 30 this year. So Tyron Matthew, Mm -hmm. they let him walk at 29. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, I'll see where this is headed. Um, 
So I think last time I gave the first anecdote. Do you want to go first this time? Yeah, um, I guess I will. I'm going to do more of kind of what you had done in a prior episode where I don't have a specific episode to delineate, but rather just. Uh, well, I have a very brief episode, but it's not enough to be an episode on its own, uh, to be a story on its own. But I, this is actually about you and just you. Um, that just so our listeners know that Chris, uh, about the time when we were in junior high school, was uh, got a reputation very notorious for being uh, fairly. Uh, I, I guess you, I would call it like a sleight of hand. Like you got really good at like taking things from people or putting things in people's pockets or like it was not uncommon for someone to like be missing something and someone else to randomly find it in their pocket and <laughs> it turned out that like Chris had taken someone's pen and put it in someone else's pocket and the, the one story the one the, my story is just the specific memory that prompted all this was one of our fellow like eighth graders maybe was walking out of the cafeteria and we were like almost back to the school. Our cafeteria, we actually had to walk outside for, you know, five to 10 minutes to walk between the school and the cafeteria. And we're almost back at the school and he reaches in his coat pocket and he pulls out a spoon and he's like, God, Chris! I'm like, <laughs> didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> They've been surreptitiously placed in his pocket during lunch. So I just, I remember that. And that is a... <laughs> I, I feel like it became a fairly well-known thing that if you found something you didn't expect in your pocket, it was probably Chris that placed it there. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a fun. Uh, I don't I don't do that anymore. Maybe I should get back into that because that was pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I feel like I might have grown out of it, but but as you're describing it, I, I gotta I gotta say, those were those were fun fun times. <laughs> so. It was entertaining as a can... bystander, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Let's see if I can find a context in which it would not be too immature to do something <laughs> along those lines again. It would be tough. Um, uh, okay, so mine was also not really a particular episode uh, as opposed to just a, a kind of period uh, where uh, it was also, I think it was in ninth grade, uh, and we were in um, newspaper class together, and we had a number of experiences in newspaper that were um, noteworthy. I, I would say um, uh, the the ones that come to mind most readily are uh, really maybe three of them. So I think, and they're all well. I'll say so. I was a sports editor, <laughs> the sports editor of our newspaper. What was your position? Do you remember? I was the in-depth editor or something we i think okay. in-depth i think that was the term i don't remember the deep dives or something yeah. yeah um well you had the serious reporting and i had like well we'll see how unserious my reporting was um i think one of my first my first article in our first edition was just like a recap of the nfl that week uh, and I remember this because I think it was the week that Jerome Bettis had five carries for one yard and three touchdowns, <laughs> um, maybe against the Eagles or somebody. I don't remember who it was against, but I think it was a, that, it was a week that, one game, wasn't it? 
Oh yeah, I think maybe it was the Raiders actually. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, it was a, it was an early season game, and uh, I'm pretty sure that was two thousand four, right? Because that was when that was when he had that stat line. Uh, and so I I recapped the NFL, and I did this for a couple of our weeks, and I I always I'm sure devoted more space to the Steelers than any other team. Um, <laughs> And it was odd because no one else, this was in Columbia, Missouri, no one else there would have cared at all about the Steelers. <laughs> but it was just, I was the sports editor, so I got to write what I wanted. Uh, but there was not a lot to write about. And I later had uh, the, I was suggested that I write about something CIS sports related, um, CIS being our middle school. And so the article that came out of that, a real banger, was uh, Girls Tennis Team Gets New Uniforms. Um, <laughs> um, that was about the extent of it. I mean, it also included a quote. Uh, the quote said, uh, it asked what what this particular tennis player thought of the uniforms. Uh, and the quote was, there, and then I think there was an ellipsis in here, all right. Uh, and that was it. <laughs> but that quote made the article. Um, <laughs> And the hesitation is not really explored. (laughs) It might have been like the only quote or like one of very few. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There were not many quotes in that article. And and you would have thought that if there was that kind of hesitation, it would have been explored in the interview or the article or both. But nope, it was just left left for the reader to make of it what they will. so that was the extent of my writing capabilities at the time. <laughs> so. I, I would also argue it, it may be less a reflection of your writing capabilities and more of your interest in the subject matter. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like you, you, you were kind of, your arm was twisted to go and report on that article. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I did not want to do it. Uh, <laughs> Um, that, that's it, that, but you could have, I could have made, uh, you know, could have made the best out of it and, and pursued the lack of enthusiasm perhaps. Uh, anyway, yeah, there was also a time in newspaper where, so we, we had ads for Papa John's, um, because they were like right across from our school and sometimes people would go there and we often ate Papa John's on those late nights when we were compiling the newspaper and trying to make sure that there was like a pica space between everything and no one knew what a pica was. Uh, um, but we at one time didn't have, we forgot to get the, the ad that they wanted us to place. Actually, we did two different things in this. So we never, I think eventually we settled on an ad that they wanted us to put in the paper because we got free pizza from them for advertising in the paper. But, uh, one thing we did was we scanned a napkin that said Papa John's on it. We put that in there and you could tell when we scanned it, that it was like a folded like a in fold. one place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so it was just in the newspaper there, a folded napkin, essentially. Um, and then another thing we did was we took an ad from their website and we put it in there. And then only after the fact did we catch that it said, click here. Uh, so it's a, you know, it's a printed newspaper and <laughs> click here was uh, not possible. So anyway, that was a good time. Um, I'm sure there are other stories from newspaper that I'm not, I'm not bringing back right now, but um, there were some, there were some good ones. Yeah, there were. There's one. I'll have to ask you offline if you want me to tell this story. Maybe this will be a tease. <laughs> if, if if you're interested, then maybe next time our listeners will hear this story. 
But, okay. oh man, that napkin one was, because you also like for the list, like you got to think this is like 2004 era scanner. Like this isn't like, <laughs> we, we weren't like cropping this image or like taking the logo out or like, it looks like a napkin. It definitely looked like a Even like the kind of texturing you could see it. Yeah. Right. Oh man. Yeah, that was, I had, I had placed that new, that uniforms article somewhere deep in the recesses of my brain that I when you started talking about CIS centric is when it came to my mind <laughs> I, I didn't remember the exact quote but I remember who gave it I remember I <laughs> just remember how insipid that <laughs> interaction was in the paper <laughs> like, that, that was my favorite part is the you got a quote from someone who clearly cared as little about this as you did, and that was reflected in the article. I thought it was a great piece of work. It was fantastic. <laughs> no one here wants to be talking about this or writing about this. That, that came through very clearly. <laughs> yeah. And do you remember, like, because, so it was 2004, I remember, you know, <laughs> the Chiefs had come off their 2003 season where we went 13-3 and three and we were awesome. And I was expecting 2004 to be more of the same. And it was not. We went 7-9. and nine, And we were... Just always couldn't get out of our own way. And yet the Steelers, who were always good, like, by then it was just like, okay, they got a... Tommy Maddox was starting. And then Ben Roethlisberger comes in. And then Ben, they just start winning and winning. And I was just like, oh my God, like, I thought that we were supposed to be the good team this year. And then, like, there's this upstart Steelers quarterback, and he's a rookie. And, like, can they really do this? And then I remember, I think you beat the Patriots and the Eagles, maybe back to back, or it was yeah. two yeah. very good teams, and one of them was the Patriots. And that was when I was finally like, okay, like, I have to admit, I was wrong, kind of like slow playing the Steelers. Like, they're really good. And I wrote an article about it for the newspaper. And our editors wrote your name as the byline. <laughs> so, and I remember you being like, what the heck? Like, somebody else writes a good thing about the Steelers and everyone's going to just think it's me. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, this was the kind of thing where we ended up, we stayed late to, like, format it. We stayed after school and we'd be there for, I don't remember, pretty late at night, I think. And yeah. I think it must have been a situation where you and I was like, okay, we did what we had to do. We're going to leave probably like nine o'clock and then the next day we see the printed version and it's your, it's my name instead of your name. Oh, what the? Um, yeah, you were better about like getting your stuff done and leaving than I was. I would get distracted. So YouTube didn't exist back then, but I would watch videos on E-bombs world on the library oh, wow. computer. Like, I remember that's where we first, this is going to be a real callback for those of you that are I feel like you have to at least be like in your low 30s to know about the Numa Numa song. Like I remember finding that on E-Bombs World. I think during uh, during newspaper, <laughs> like at that time. And I don't know, people that know online memes better than I do might say 2004 was very late to come across that. I don't know if it's possible. But I'm pretty sure that's when I came across it. Um, but yeah, I would waste a lot of time doing that and then I have to go back to editing my article. <laughs> Is that still a thing, the Numa Numa song? Like, does it, is it in the, in the zeitgeist at all? I, I saw, I saw it because I follow this Twitter account called the Nostalgia from Your Youth, and it popped up there, which is why it's on my brain right now. But yeah, uh, yeah it, I don't know that people that didn't grow up in the '90s have any understanding or 
recollection or interest in it whatsoever. It's, a, it's like an early version of TikTok or something, right? Like that, it's just this guy that's like really having a great time singing and dancing to this song that is catchy. I don't know what it means. But. It's really catchy, yeah. I think it, if I remember correctly, I think it's a Romanian song. I, I ended up like really getting into this song just for the song after. And I think the, it, it's definitely a love song. I remember the, the main part of it is like, there's some, like the end of the chorus is something about like missing your eyes or something. Like it's definitely like talking to somebody that he misses or used to have a relationship with something like that. I believe. Yeah. Well, maybe we should incorporate that into the show somehow. Oh, if we could get rights to that and that would be our intro music yeah. or our fade out music, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> that would be something. All right. Well, uh, anything else for this episode? Uh, just to end it out, I wanted to just make a plug for the t-shirt that I'm wearing. Uh, the all juice. So this is only relevant to anyone who's watching this on YouTube, but the, this t-shirt actually, I wore it because it's a combine week. And there was a former, he was a Kansas City Star writer, and then he ended up going to Yahoo, and he passed away a couple years ago. He used to write for the, about the Chiefs. His name was Therese Paler. Uh, he, for the Combine and like in draft season, every year he would come up with what he called his all-juice team, which were the people that he felt like gave the most effort on the field. Uh, and he, I, I just loved him as a writer. He had a couple things, like one of his big phrases, which it's not a unique idea, but I remember him using the phrase all the time, the contract year is undefeated. And he, I remember him calling Mahomes after we beat the Jaguars in his rookie season, or not his rookie, but his first year as a starter. He re started referring to him as Baba Yaga from the John Wick. <laughs> like, so I, I don't know. He was a really great writer. And they still sell these t-shirts that the proceeds actually go to a scholarship at Howard University in his name uh, to help like young journalists. Uh, but anyway, just wanted to give the reasoning as to why I'm wearing this shirt as a plug for Therese Paylor. He was a great Chiefs writer and national writer for, uh, about football and uh, very sad that he passed away. But if anyone wants to support his scholarship, buy a shirt or I'm sure there are ways to donate directly too. <laughs> yeah, the all juice team, there you have it. I uh I will not give a fuck for this plain V neck shirt that I'm wearing. There's nothing to this shirt. Uh but that's a that's a that's a shirt worth wearing, I think. That's good. Um All right. Well, uh thanks to everyone for for listening. If you made it this far and even if you didn't, thanks for listening to what you listened to. Uh, and keep following us on the, all of our easily rememberable handles on these different sites. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back. I think I think probably this off season we're gonna have to get into questions about f fandom and why why one would be a fan or not be a fan. And I think yeah, I think we should have some some fun discussions here. So uh, that's where I'm. One of the things I'm imagining um, filling the off season with. Yeah, for those of you that are like, where there needs to be more philosophy and psychiatry, oh, get ready for this offseason. <laughs> we'll fill it. Don't worry. <laughs> All right.
right. Well, until next time. All right. See ya.